GM, GM, welcome all, welcome everyone to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, well, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave, here with Sam McCullough and Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And this episode is all about securing the Flywheel. We had on Mr. FDR of Drosera and Groom Lake, where he was giving us everything from war stories uh, in the land of cybersecurity and cyber war to how to protect yourself and what precautions that you can take. Uh, Sam, what are your thoughts on this one? I thought it was interesting that he's essentially putting the entire auditing community on notice and saying, oh, yeah. we, we can do better. Yeah. We can do better. We can do better, which is a good thing. We, we need that. We, can, we need to improve. We want to strive to do better. So. Yeah. We really get into it on this one, and I won't delay any longer because it's a great episode. You may want to put on a notepad and write some stuff down. So if you want, so really excited to get this started. And if you want to keep up with everything Flywheel, make sure you subscribe, hit that bell button, leave us a comment, give us a like, let us know what you think. You can follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi, join our Telegram group at FlywheelDefi, subscribe to our website, FlywheelDefi.com for all the latest updates. You can follow me on Twitter at DefiDay22. And uh, you can follow Kit at Capital K, who's not here, but he's here in spirit, and you'll see him in a few seconds. And you can find me at Traders underscore Inside. Oh, yeah. Hey, don't forget to go out and buy some Flywheel Frax merch. Yeah. Can we buy talk about merch. the merch? merch yeah, support, support the channel, Cherry Blossom Frax uh, combo right there. You can go check it out below. Griff Shout shop. out Griff Shop. Griff Shop, thank you for all your help and support. Uh, and without further ado, let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Flywheel. I am your host, DeFi Dave, and I'm here, as always, with Capital K. And this time around, we have a very special episode because we have on Mr. FDR, and I'm not talking about the president, and he is the founder of Groom Lake and Dro Sarah. Uh, and we're going to go deep into cybersecurity, all the ins and outs. This is going to be a really interesting episode, and as Kate would say, you may want to play, bring out your notebook for this one. So, uh, FCR, <laughs> thank you for coming on. Really excited to have you. Uh, how are you doing this fine day? Man, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you guys bringing me in. Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, a little tired. I've uh, you know tired. I've had a busy day today, but uh, you know I'm I'm actually I'm getting a second wind. I'm getting a burst of energy from wind. being on the Flywheel oh, podcast. It. Like I've been looking forward to it all day. So, you know. yeah. I mean, that's what the flywheel does. It's self-perpetuating. It's always in motion, and it gets the people going. Uh, it gets the people going. Right it's what plants crave. It's what plants yeah, crave, exactly. bro. So. And so, FDR, uh, FDR, let's get right into it. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background before crypto? Yeah, sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So b back in the day, um, I actually ended up. Uh, I was a green suitor is what we call it. So I just enlisted in the army. And um, I remember when I, when I first enlisted, I was like, damn, you know, I want to do some real high speed, like CIA, 
like Tom Clancy type of shit. You know what I mean? And uh, sorry, I don't know if this is a family show, but if I curse, you know, you can you can bleep it out or you can yell at me. It's fine. Oh, good, um, oh, good. But no, okay. you know, I, yeah. I wanted to do some real, uh, real high speed stuff. And I actually went into, you know, doing work with the feds with the idea of being like a linguist. I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a linguist. And uh, I wanted to be a Mandarin linguist. And when you go in for any of those jobs, these like really specialized jobs, you got to take some crazy test if you want one of those real special sauce, special snowflake kind of jobs, right? Whether it's linguist or cyber, anything like that, okay? So hmm. I was going and, and I remember I was talking to the recruiter at the time and the recruiter was like, homie, I know you want to be a linguist, but I could tell you're real good with computers, man. Like you, you should probably do the other tests too. Like just, just do them both while you're there because, yeah, you know, the Army's well. really trying to, yeah, they're really trying to build out the cyber program. And I'm like, no, shit, I want you know, I want to go like strangle a guy in Pakistan or yeah, <laughs> kick some doors, you know? So I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever you say, man. So I go and, um, you know, I take both tests and the one that's for the linguist is called the D lab. It's like the defense language aptitude battery, right? The one for cyber was called the ICLT. Right? I don't know what it stands for, but it was, it's called the ICLT. So I take both of them. Worst decision I could have done in the same day. Cause man, they were fucking long. They were paying the ass. The D lab, especially. Well, I took the D lab, I took the ICLT, and I was like, well, I think I did pretty good. That's cool. You know, a few days pass. I get the results for the D lab, and they're like, homie, you bombed the shit out of the D lab. You are not going to be a linguist. There's no <laughs> chance in hell you get sent to linguist school. You're not going to Monterey. It's not happening. I was like, man, come on. They said, but you killed it on the cyber test, man. You did great. You had like one of the best scores. I was like, all right, well, I guess that's what I'm doing, right? So I, I kind of got uh, I got pushed into that after, you know, working there. So it went from this whole idea of like doing more of what we call the human side or like, you know, more of this like human asset kind of side of things to now mm -hmm. being more, you know, information SIGINT based is what we call signals intelligence based, like working with NSA, working with those kind of organizations, mm -hmm. Army Cyber Command. And uh, the first thing I did, after, you know, Obviously, everybody has to do basic training. I did basic training. Um, and uh, immediately after basic, I ended up going to uh, the Joint Cyber Analysis course, which was in Pensacola, Florida. Okay. Now, when you go to this course, it's like, it's it's on a tiny base. It's on a tiny, tiny, like the base, I think, is maybe like two miles wide or two miles like in square area, right? And... Um, the building that you go to school every day is a brick building with no windows, barbed wire fencing outside. There's asbestos warnings on all of, all the doors, right? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you're working in. I mean, it's this piece of shit to be honest with you. It's, it's government money, right? <laughs> so they're never they're never yeah. going to give you the nice stuff. They're going to be like, "Hey, how do we save money, man? Let's put the cheap shit in there." Save and, the taxpayers' uh, money, of course. Say, hey, that's right. I mean, hey, you know, they lose six trillion dollars yeah. at the yeah. Pentagon, but they save some money on some asbestos. You know, it's different different strokes. So, um, <laughs> no, but the the thing about this course is called a Joint Cyber Analysis course. You can look this up. There's like a lot of info about it online. A lot of people were interested in getting into cyber after you know, it was really stood up by, by the DOD. Mm -hmm. And um, the way it works is that it's kind of like drinking out of a fire hose because there's about, depends if you count the first one, there's 17 modules, right? And then there's like this capstone at the end, like a capstone project towards the end. It takes about six months to run through this whole thing. And 
the longest time that you spend on any one of these modules, I think the longest one is like, I forget what it was. I think it was um, protocol analysis. It was like three weeks. Um, that's the longest you spend on any of these topics. So literally what's happening is they throw your ass in here and they say, okay, you're in this class. You got 19 other people in the class with you or 15 other people in the class. This is the first module, discrete structures. It's mathematical concepts, right? Go. You have one week to learn all this shit and then you take a test on you got one week. That's it. And you got to take the test and you got to pass. Fuck. I, God, well, I fucking hate math. All right, fine. Boom. I start going into it. I clear the first pass. So they had I a guy. hate math too. <laughs> yeah, they had a guy, but they had a guy. Dude, check this out. They had a guy who he was, uh, he was a sailor. So we had all kinds. We had army guys in there. We had sailors. We had air force. We had Marines. The whole gamut. Right? No Coast Guard. I never saw a Coast Guard there. But... Um, this guy, this Navy guy, he fails the first test. And I was like, oh, well, he'll get a retake, right? Like, just let him retake it. That's not a big deal. Like, you know, or, you know, second chances kind of thing. Nah. No, nah, he didn't get to retake it. In fact, he immediately got switched to a different job, a different specialty, a different MOS, as we call it in the Army, that was based on the needs of the Navy. Not his choice. Needs of the Navy. So the Ooh. minute that happened, we all realized what the fuck was at stake. Because if you failed one of these tests, if you're in the army, your ass is getting sent to Afghanistan or Iraq, right? You're, you're not getting some different job on a boat. You're getting, you're getting a combat arms job, right? You're getting truck driver. You're getting uh, EOD. You're getting something like that, right? Uh, because that's needs of the army. Right? They need to fill those. Or you're getting like a SAM missile operator or some, some shit, right? So the minute that that happened, I was like, I'm going to know life for the next six months. I'm not going to fail a single fucking test at this place. And I'm just going to go and I'm going to get out of here as quick as I can. And I did that. And uh, all the modules you went through were everything from programming to hardware to operating systems, protocol analysis, forensics, exploitation, offensive security, everything. We did it all. And uh, when I got out of that course, I was like a changed person. It was like I, I'd gotten broken down from the stress and pressure, right? And remade as, as this hacker. And, um, you know, I, I left there and, and shortly after uh, I got to my unit. And, you know, the, re the rest is kind of history. The rest from there is like mm -hmm. I worked in the defensive cyber operations unit. Um, you know, I was doing what we call cyber threat emulation, which is essentially um, emulating cyber threats, right? So when we see something, it's kind of like creating these scenarios where we can extract valuable data for, hey, you know, we saw that an adversary used this proprietary crafted malware package or this payload. We want to see what it does in a sandbox, that kind of thing. We'd run that. Um, my job also mm -hmm. was uh, systems analyst. So if you've ever watched, uh, I don't know, these, there's these fucking Hollywood war movies where you know, there's always that scene where the Marines like kick in the door and they're like, get on the fucking ground, yeah. like don't move, terrorists, whatever, you know, they're like screaming at the poor people in the house, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. with with the way that we did operations, it was like, you kind of had two paths to go down if you were one of these like cyber operators, right? You were either like a network, this is defensive, not offensive. On defensive side, you were either a network analyst, which meant you were doing what we call watching the wire, you're waiting to see something present as an anomaly, right? And then you're kind of like, hey, uh, we got something happening. We need something done, right? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. you were a systems analyst or a host analyst, which is what I did, which is after they say that, it's like, 
go ahead, get in there, go deal with it, right? So mm -hmm. the systems analyst actually went and dealt with it, got the artifacts, mm -hmm. got the evidence, pulled logs, um, you know, basically cleansed the system, pulled it off, did what they had to do, right? Whether it was forensics post-exploit or it was, you know, live situations, which are very rare, by extremely rare in the live situations. So yeah, that's that's uh, kind of kind of how I, I uh, learned about cybersecurity and you know what I did before the crypto space. And then how did you go from, you know, army training, like ass on fire, going through the gamut, then all right, you mm -hmm. pass, and then you were doing cybersecurity uh, for the government for a while. And then how did you get into crypto uh, exactly? Um, kind of, it was kind of like twofold. There was like two tastes that I got. And then One, those two, two tastes. Yeah, and it was kind of enough for me. After I had gotten those two tastes, I was like, this is awesome. This is where I want to be. This is how I like to operate, right? And uh, the first of those was when I was on, we call it the CPT, the cyber protection team. When I was on the cyber protection team, um, and I can't, obviously I can't talk about specifics. I am bound, like, you know, I held a clearance. Um, you know, there was stuff we worked on, but it's it's pretty easy to see that a lot of adversarial uh, nation states to the United States like to leverage crypto as a means for money laundering, for logistics, for uh, avoiding sanctions, right? So a lot of times crypto was part and parcel of some operation that was taking place that we were countering or that we were doing research on or that we were mitigating, right? And when those situations arose, it was like, I was the youngest guy on the team. These old grizzled multi-deployment Afghanistan guys, they don't know what the fuck's going on with crypto. They were just like, dude, I don't know what this crap is, but you know, put him on it, put FDR on. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll get take anything I can get right now. You know, I was I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, straight up training. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. And um, yeah, I think when I started to see like how powerful the space was how powerful the concept was because it was clearly, it was so effective and it was so powerful even before like DeFi summer and the real hit of the bull that it was like causing massive amounts of consternation to mm. the United States government, to what, what the global finance. mean? Like trouble, like it was, it was causing, it trouble, was a pain okay. in the ass, right? Yeah, it was a pain in the ass. Okay. And if, if we're responding in that way and if it's causing that kind of fear amongst the global financial system, there's something there. You see what I'm saying? There's something that's present or latent within DeFi and crypto that is promising to me. And when was this like year? A, uh, this is, I, I can't give specific years. It was basically between 2017 to 2022. So that entire okay. span got of time it, I was I was operating, yeah, some capacity with the NSA. So, um, but yeah, and then like shortly after that, uh, you know, towards the end of my, my contract, I, uh, I started doing security advisory because that, again, that was my first taste. And I started doing security advisory for this syndicated lending platform that it was, it was a friend of mine who was building it, which is why I learned about it. Right? A friend of mine was, had started this. He had gone to Wharton, you know, real good business guy, wanted to get into startups, right? He kind of had the chops for it. What he didn't have though was he was working with Franklin Templeton, San Mateo. Franklin mm. Templeton's a very TradFi institution. And they got $2 trillion assets big, under management. I mean, big. they're they're real big, big boys. And their due diligence 
is is like such a pain in the ass. I mean, multi-year kind of due diligence to, to transition systems in their business sector or in, in their tech stack. And, you know, he came to me, my friend came to me, he said, man, I'm not going to be able to get past these cybersecurity due diligence guys on my own. I need somebody like, I need, I need your help. I need advisory, right? And I was like, man, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to do it. And uh, I really cut my teeth there. We made a good showing of it. Uh, that was a project that Franklin Templeton was, is still really excited about and that they're still building. But that was my first taste. And that led to me, I've done security advisory on probably close to 50 projects at this point in the space. So um, and that's multi-ecosystem. So, yeah. I have a question. How much is like the intelligence community paying attention to crypto and people in crypto? Are they more caring about like the nation states? Do they actually care about like individual like builders and like stuff happening like in the day to day, or is it more, or is it like kind of like a full spectrum in defense? Um, I mean, it, it's always like based. I call it the Eye of Sauron. Okay, that's it. Literally, is exactly like mm -hmm. the Eye of Sauron from Lord of the Rings, where if you don't do anything to attract the Eye of Sauron, it's not going to look at. It. But the minute you do get the Eye of Sauron on you, there's nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do. It's done. You're, there's you're nothing. Done, yeah. Right? yeah. No, there's so nothing you can do. You're done. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like you know, we have 20 trillion GDP. We spend more on defense spending than probably the next hundred countries combined on the list. You know what I mean? It's like you're not going to get away. If you're a real threat, you're not. It's not going to happen. Um, and realistically, it's like when you think about the the spectrum. You just mentioned the spectrum, right? Um, APTs, advanced persistent threats, nation state actors. Yeah, that's always something that's of interest to the intelligence community because it poses a threat to national security and it poses a threat to, you know, national interests of the United States, which is they're helping our adversaries usually in some way, right? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. but what I'll say on the user side is like, no, 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 right? Um, most, mm. most lone wolf perpetrators of exploits or people who are like what we call script kiddies and just kind of like find a vulnerability, they exploit, they run it. It's like, man, the NSA ain't got time for all that shit. Like, like who are you? You're what protocol? And someone stole what from you? One million dollars? I mean, get the fuck away. Like, leave me alone. I'm, gonna, I'm dealing with, <laughs> look, I'm fighting a global yeah. cyber war. This is what the NSA is saying. They're like, I'm fighting a global cyber war over here. I don't have time to fucking put people on this. Mm. Time for that. So However, unless it like goes on their radar, yeah. Yeah, the caveats, I mean, look at today. Just today, I think the Department of Treasury, they sanctioned yeah. uh, Roman. Roman, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. sanctioned Tornado Roman. And, and it's like, why they do that? Because Tornado Cash is fucking OP, man. They don't have an answer for that shit. They do not have an answer for it. And I guarantee you nobody that is, and anyone who huh. is sophisticated enough to utilize Tornado Cash from an in, from an origin point to a clean exfil point with minimized transaction in between, Nobody can touch you. You can't be touched. Wow. You didn't leave a human selector anywhere. It's like, what are they going to do? They can't do shit. All they can do is look at some hash numbers and some money movements on forensics. Like, you're out. You're clean, right? So that's the thing with, you know, when the Department of Treasury does shit like that, it's because it's like, homie, we're trying to put pressure on you, Roman, to either spill the beans on the cryptography and like the inner workings of, of TC or we're just going to make your life a living hell because you're making our life a living hell. 
right? But the, they're never going to go out of their way because of this like perceived like, oh, well, eventually they're going to come after my protocol because it's just because it's a crypto project. No, like if you're causing a pain in the ass to the to the feds, then they're going to cause you a pain in the ass, right? So this is how, kind of how it works. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like the tornado cash happened a while ago, the, the sanctions. And so you would, so it's been a long time in between the, you know, the protocol getting sanctioned and then the person that built the protocol getting sanctioned. So exactly. Who knows what happened? Just turning it up. Yeah. Turning it up, you know? So, yeah. Because it's, it's still one of those things where it's like once, and that's the beauty of working in, you know, this, this sphere, just working in like, you know, with computers is that, and with software is that once it's out, it's out. You could write all the formal declarations and sanctions and whatever you want, but if it's out, it's out. The, right? the protocol so, is sovereign. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, getting into uh, your work more, um, what exactly mm -hmm. is Groom Lake, and why did you create it? Yeah. So, uh, Groom Lake is um, I call it the private military corporation for DeFi, right? And I call it that because um, we're trying to offer we were actively offering a service to the space that is different from other, like it's different from a consultancy. There's a lot of cybersecurity consultancies in space. There's a lot of guys you can go to who they'll say, oh, I'll audit your smart contracts. Well, so will these other hundred firms. <clears throat> so will this random guy who, you know, lives in uh, Serbia, he'll audit your contract also. So will all these other people, right? It, it's like, there's this very clear and easily defined sort of tapestry to security offerings in the space. And there are a few that are missing. And where I see the market opportunity and where I see things missing, I go and I create. And that's, you know, you talked about in the, when you introduced me, you said it's Groom Lake and Drosera. Both of those things are symptoms mm -hmm. of that. So I made Groom Lake because we are able to provide the proactive security that protocols want, the structuring, the frameworks, crisis response plans, <clears throat> compliance. I can do all that stuff. I can do all the boring cyber stuff, right? But what I also wanted to produce was I wanted to create a small agile team. It's like a light, light infantry unit kind of tactics idea here, right? It's like when you think of special forces, mm -hmm. it's, it's not some giant thing of tens of thousands. No, a special forces team is like a small, cohesive, extremely professional unit. That's what Groom Lake is when it comes to reactive security. Because for as long as the space continues to exist in the current paradigm, where it's a, it's a bunch of people getting their money stolen, and then they, they go beg the guy to give the money back, it's like, homie, you don't have any leverage. You already stole all your money. Your money's gone. You have no leverage. If he decides to return it to you for a white hat, it's like it's out of the kindness of his own heart. So you're a mm -hmm. fool. You're playing yourself like fiddle, right? The first thing you have to do is you have to be able to quickly, in the face of an active situation like that, you have to quickly escalate and gain leverage and undermine the leverage that the attacker or the perpetrator has on you. And that's what we specialize in, right? And the other piece of this too is that uh, these consultancies are, are grifting hard and they're overcharging the shit out of, I mean, they're overcharged for their services. Crazy. I mean, the, the average audit, I had somebody tell me earlier, they paid like $250,000 for an audit. I'm like, oh man, it's a PR movie. You're paying 250K for PR. 
right? Like what we say and what Groom Lake, and this is my promise. My promise is that we offer Groom Lake to the, to the retained client for less than the amount you would spend on a single internal cybersecurity hire, a single, you get an entire team. You get proactive and reactive security. That's that's my promise. That's all. I'm always going to hold to that. So yeah. Oh, so you guys are the teeth. Basically, are the you guys teeth. are the in in real life and shit goes down. And we're the closer. You need, you're the closer. Yeah. We're the closer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. I really like the way you kind of de- describe that FDR is like in the situation when somebody already took your money, you have zero leverage. And what you need to do right away is to escalate and regain some leverage. And, you know, exactly. like kind of speaking of, of that, it makes complete sense. But in that situation, I would imagine a first time founder who find themselves in that position would have no idea to, you know, oh, he just did this move. I need to do this other move to counter and regain my leverage. So in, in, in that kind of situation, what would you advise like a, a, a founder? Um, I advise them to pick up, pick up the phone, call Groom Lake and, uh, you know, we'll handle it and we'll, you know, <laughs> pet them on the head now. Um, no, I mean, at face value, right. It's like, well, you think about it from a, a realistic scenario. Well, there's one scenario where it doesn't matter how you respond or if you attempt to get leverage or, or not. And that's if it's like an APT or a nation state hacker. Um, which is a lot rarer than people think. I think most people just think like most exploits are done by APTs or nation states. Like, not necessarily. I'm not going to say that there aren't a lot of them, but you know, that's not necessarily. There's a lot of like lone wolves out there, and there's a lot of people who have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the time of day to sit and kind of scrub for these vulnerabilities and pull them off. And what I'll say is that in the event that it's not an APT or nation state, the first thing that you need to do is. You need to see if you can find what we call a selector, okay? A selector is anything that acts as sort of like a breadcrumb to, it's like a thread that's sticking out that you can kind of pull the thread. And as you pull it, it starts to unravel everything else about the identity of the perpetrator, right? So this might be something like, mm, maybe you notice something in the call data, or maybe there's some kind of like ENS, or maybe there's username or... You know, maybe there are these like little pieces that if you have folks who kind of have a little bit more of an advanced intelligence capability, which includes guys like Zach XPT or Ray Raspberry or like our operatives, right? If you have those kind of people, they can usually find those things pretty quickly, right? If they're there. If they're not there, they're not there. Sorry, it was clean hack. The the whole point of this is that it's it's private, right? It's anonymous, right? It's kind mm-hmm. of one of the bedrocks of, of DeFi and, and utilizing DeFi, right? So it's like... You take the good with the bad. But yeah, the first thing you do to get that leverage is you need to get to a point where you can start to convince the perpetrator in his passive view of the situation because they're going to they're gonna watch. If it's a lone wolf perpetrator, they're going to watch. They're going to go check Twitter to see what you're saying. They're going to see how people are talking about it. A criminal loves to come back and look at it love to watch it right they like hey, man, ego I, man they love that ego. Shit. they love it the ego yeah we're use that against them right <laughs> let them do that and uh you know try to gain that leverage on them to where they're like oh wait a minute like this guy this guy might know who i am this guy might... like let me give you an example right we had an exploit um we had a client we were working with this is a one-off thing it wasn't a retained client it was like someone who got exploited 
It was a live situation. They called us. We immediately went in. And they said, hey, this is what's going on. Like, can you help us? Yeah, sure. So we immediately went in on it. And we had it on pretty good authority. Magician never reveals the secrets. But we had it on very good authority that this guy was based in the Middle East. Right? He was based in the Middle East. And that's all we knew. That's all we knew. Is it somewhere in the Middle East? Probably. Maybe. Right? And we said, okay, we're going to keep investigating this. It's going to take us some time, but try to limit your communications if he reaches out to you. You can't seem desperate, right? They've already got leverage on you. Don't give them more. Don't, don't seem desperate, right? Don't be quick to respond, all this other stuff. And sure enough, right? There was no real, like, there was no, like, tweet that was put out. There was, it was real quiet. It was like the money left and the guy had it and he was like, why is nobody saying it? Right? He goes and he makes like a burner proton meal, shoots it over to the, the protocol, the, the client we were working with. And they're like, you know, I have the money. I won't be returning it. Like, fuck you. Or what, you know, some, some like real ego stuff, like just like rubbing <laughs> in their face kind of thing. Like, okay. So we told them, we said, don't respond. Wait, wait it out. Make them feel it. You know what I mean? Because they're going to be nervous. And we want you to send the response when it's really late at night in the Middle East. Like in that time zone between like Egypt to Pakistan that it's kind of like, it's like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. That's when we want you to respond. And they did. Didn't hear shit back until it was morning time in the same time zone. Okay, so now we know it, all right? Or we have a better idea. We don't know if we have a better idea. So in the next communication when we said, yo, respond to them, we gave them a quote from the Quran. And the quote from the Quran said, Allah will visit upon you. It was something like that. Like those who do evil deeds will have evil yeah. deeds done to them, right? Yeah. We sent, yeah. we, we included that as a quote at the response. And the very next email, the guy was like, okay, I can return like 500K if you give me three months. What? Why, why would he offer that? Why, why would he say that? Right, unless he's scared, right? He's getting a little nervous now. So we we kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, and eventually we got this like ninety nine percent match on who this guy was. We we even got his address. We got everything. And I mean that final salvo. Was, oh yeah, that final salvo was just kind of like, hey, this is our last email. You know, we're sorry that we couldn't come to a conclusion, and you know, we're, we're going to let the the appropriate parties take it over from here. That was it. Never responded again after that. He sent like three, four emails, like double texting a girl at the bar. Sent email after email after email, like, <laughs> and we whittled it down to where it was like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, or I'm not gonna send anything. You can fuck off. All the way down to, okay, like you froze most of the money, and I'm gonna send the rest of it this month, like, right. Wow. So that's what I talk about. That's what I mean when I say leverage. You gotta get leverage on the guy. If you don't have leverage, there's no incentive to return loot. Yeah, in these oh, high no. stakes situations, things can just change on a dime. Like what may seem the hacker having leverage, you know, he's still not out of the clear. And the fact that he's still not out of the clear, you can use that against them, especially if said hacker is emotional, which is clearly what you guys do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a psyop. It's science. Yeah. And you know, it's that's why I want yeah. yeah, one of the specialties that we have with Groom Lake is that we have 
we have psyops. Um, we've got offensive hacking. We've got defensive security. We've got forensics. Um, we've got all that, right? We've got humans, human intelligence. Like we, you know, I like to say my promise is we are able to leverage a network that's on all six continents that is embedded with governments, with institutions in these various like regions of the world. And we actually have like currently based on our own metrics, we have the ability to get an operative across the world deployed live in person performing some operation for you within 24 to 48 hours. And that's like a guarantee. It's a hard guarantee. Um, that's that's and wild. It, that's wild. Yeah. And, and, so and all we're saying is, yeah, we're going to these protocols and we're saying, look, would you pay would you pay the salary of a junior developer to have that capability on standby? Why wouldn't? Yes. Right? You're spending yes, 250k on a, <laughs> Yeah, you're spending 250k on a PR audit. Like, come on, let's let's do something a little more a little more punch, you know? So, some more teeth. Some more teeth. Oh, yeah. Dude. So Okay, okay. So it would so probably let, be cheaper to just pay uh-huh. I mean, it would be cheaper though if you just wanted to pay like Chechens with baseball bats to go like harass people or something. Right? Right. You're going to have to develop that <laughs> connection yourself. I can't offer that. So, Okay. But, um, all right. So, so let's, let's, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. And usually when sure. exploits and hacks like happens, uh, it's often immediately reported like on, in the crypto sphere, right? CT effectively goes kind of crazy. Everybody's watching the hack situation <clears throat> live on Etherscan. And while also like providing a ton of commentary and noise and speculation, like during amidst all of that chaos, is it actually like beneficial because the it distracts the attacker because they want, like you said, like keep looking at the crime and kind of be like really giddy about be, I'm the center of attention. Everyone's looking at me or is it too many chefs in the kitchen and it creates a situation that's hard for you to control? Well, the problem is that it's going to happen no matter what, right? It's going to, it's going to get out. Like this is like a case of responsible disclosure, which like you're talking about in web two world, it's very easy to get what we call the first 72, which is the minute an exploit happens or a breach happens, you basically got 72 hours to kind of like get your ducks in a row, mm-hmm. figure out what the hell happened, put the right people on it. And then 72 hours later, it's kind of expected that you do some kind of responsible disclosure and you say, hey, this happens. We've mitigated it this way. Mm-hmm. This is our announcement to our customer. You kind of have that liberty in Web 2. You don't really have that in DeFi because, again, it's a very open, free environment where you can look at everything, right? So whether or not, now that's the first thing, whether or not it's good or bad, well, kind of depends some of the people who are talking about it on twitter it's bad because they're they're basically uh you know bitching out your protocol or they're saying oh look another scam or they're accusing your founder of being the person who did it or you know they're causing like negative pr negative press that's that's bad right Mm -hmm. nobody wants that um but at the same time it's like if you've got if you've got the current condition in space that isn't really being addressed which you know I, I do is a call to action to to lead some protocols to get get some kind of proactive security in place if you don't have it already. And I'm not talking about posting on a mutafon. I'm talking about real proactive security. But the ones that don't have that, <laughs> hell yeah, it's a good thing to have ten 
10 investigative or forensic folks on Twitter looking at it. It's great to have Zach XPT looking at your stuff if he's got the time. He's looking at 20 other things at the same time. So it's really just about, it's kind of about speed, right? Like to me, the most ideal situation mm -hmm. is that like, I've, I've got a guy, I pick up the phone, I call Groom Lake or I call, you know, some other, you know, someone, have some kind of incident response plan, right? Something. Uh, that's the ideal situation. But the fact that crypto Twitter is going to be involved, I mean, it's always going to be kind of the case, right? Because this is a very community driven industry. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I don't, you know, sometimes it can be annoying. Mm -hmm. so. it. Yeah, I, I remember this one time. I forgot which hacker it was, but uh, it was like they stole some USDT and then somebody sent them a um a ether scan or a send them a transaction but embedded like a note in the ether scan saying like hey your usdt is locked do not try to deposit it that's why you are stuck and then the guy ended up sending this tipper like 30k back for like this tip so he sent them like 30k usdc and then he started moving his <laughs> usdc instead of like <laughs> figuring out how to do uh, this tether <laughs> Yeah, man. Hey, like, well, you got to help the homies out sometimes, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was so ridiculous. And I, I yeah. remember seeing that. I was just like, I was like, well, this person no, clearly I mean, became an accomplice, like, on chain, <laughs> voluntarily. On chain. <laughs> yeah. I oh, mean, so that's human uh, nature, anyways, right? Um, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a thing of beauty, but it's like a double-edged sword. You know, it's like, you're, you're going to see shit like that. I mean... I don't know. I, I hope yeah, it doesn't it. like, I'm not going to say I hope it doesn't change in the sense of like, I hope people don't stop getting hacked, but like, I hope that, I hope there's never this like, like communal idea within DeFi to be like, you know what? All the naysayers were right. Let's go back to everything being centralized and controlled and like feds being all over everything. Mm -hmm. And there's no freedom of movement. No. So I, I, I pray it never gets to that point. I don't think it can, but it's like, I don't know. You yeah. got to take it with the good, the good for, with the bad. So. For, for DeFi to really get to the next level, you know, mm -hmm. it needs to have the security to do so. It needs to develop standards and procedures. And, you know, so far it's just been, oh, let's have our audit done, you know, PR stamp. And then somebody goes change. There's been so many times where like they'll have the audit, somebody changes one thing in the code and then boom, like eight figure exploit. Um, and yeah. so as an industry, we need to develop, like I said, standards and procedures in order to attract hey. that, like those trillions in TBL. So like those who have that kind of, you know, big money flowing around feel comfortable and safe knowing that, you know, organizations like Groom Lake are there, you know, to secure the bag when, uh, things hit the fan. Um, and so, yeah. you know, yeah, cause I mean, needed, DeFi uh, right now, in the industry. DeFi right now, like, like we're all saying it's. It is Wild West. It, exactly. It's Wild West. And with that, it's like when you think about the Wild West, like you couldn't call, you couldn't really call the local sheriff or like the U.S. Marshals or the feds to come help you. What they do, they hired the Pinkertons. They hired private, right, security, private security, right? Yeah. Like, we're right here. You know what I mean? So in this current paradigm, that's the way we're operating. And that's why we're able to be efficient, right? Is that we we operate yeah. on that level. We, we understand the space for what it is and we meet it, mm -hmm. right? So, um, no. you, yeah, earlier, uh, FDR, you mentioned uh, Zach XBT and, and amongst other white hackers. Um, have you, uh, white hat hackers, have you worked with them previously in the past? Um, yeah, I've worked with a few. I've worked with, uh, and some of them are like ecosystem specific. Like I've worked with Ray Raspberry and Cosmos. He's kind of like an up and coming guy. He's real solid, real strong forensics background. 
Um, definitely recommend if you're a Cosmos project, you know, following him, reaching out to him. He's he's a good guy to kind of have maybe watching, you know, what happens in an active situation. Kind of like one of those we talked about having these third parties on Twitter helping mm. you. He is one that I would want help, right? And kind of the same goes for Zach XPT, right? I mean, I've been on both sides of it with Zach. I've been in an adversarial kind of pitted against Zach situation. And I've also been in a, I'm literally working Ooh. on the same oh. exploit in parallel with Zach kind of situation, right? And I mean, the guy, he's underappreciated. He's extremely underappreciated, which kind of let the world know that a few months ago, right? And secondly, he's able to operate at a level that shows like pretty strong competence, you know? And yeah, it's worth it to have a guy like that in the space. And I think he does a good job. And, you know, I, I think he's a good person. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, can we go a little bit deeper into the, the stories there? Uh, on how, how did you <laughs> work this against, against him? him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and again, then obviously with him. I'm, I'm a private, I, I perform cybersecurity and intelligence operations for discerning clients who decide to retain services. And, you know, sometimes clients have different needs and different wants and that's uh you know it leads to certain things so um but it's never been something where it was like you know like an active situation or anything like that it was just kind of like one of the one of the guys i was working for just you know that he had, he had gotten some you know some, some bad rub-ins with with uh xbt so with zach so yeah not nothing i should probably share oh. for the sake of my my confidentiality with the client but um you know. Of course, of course. No, we'll leave it, it at that. <laughs> uh, when were you guys on the same side? So we actually were on the same side in this kind of like pass-through situation where, um, and again, not going to disclose the client or like numbers or anything like that, but basically we had a client who, it was an active situation. They had just had funds taken from them. We were trying to escalate the leverage gathering, which I think Zach really understands at, at a base point. It's, it's a fundamental aspect of what he does. Because um, he's real quick with trying to get that intelligence pulled as quickly as possible. And he's also really good about using the forensics on chain to like get to a human identifiable selector as quickly as possible. Like he doesn't just he doesn't just stay the whole time on like this is how the money moved and it went to this exchange. He doesn't stay on that all the time. He tries to find these little things that are like might be a guy who's like Turkish, or might be a guy who's in the USA. Pacific Coast or whatever. He looks for that stuff. So he's got an eye for intelligence. And um, we were working in this tandem where it was like he was operating in one way where he was looking at forensics. He was trying to find those selectors. And then we were here kind of doing the same thing, but then operating on selectors that we had gotten other ways. Right. And then the client was kind of mm. wedged between us where they're getting a feed from Zach. They feed that to us. We get a feed, give it to the client, they feed that to Zach. So it's kind of like this this pass through that was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, there have been, again, there have been things where I've spoken directly with Zach on where, you know, we, we want to expose something that might be bad for the space. Um, we've had those kind of discussions. It's nothing that ever really reached ahead or, or got to like a point where we both came together and did it. But we've had discussions like that where it's like, I go to Zach, I say, yo, I've seen this. He says, look, if you have more info, I've been following this. Let's put something out. But um, yeah, it just hasn't happened at this point yet. But I, I think it's one of those things where, again, in the Wild West, 
you're going to continue to have the Pinkertons, Groom Lake running around, mm -hmm. but then you're also going to continue to have the Bounty Hunter, Zack XBT, the Lone Wolf running around, uh, right? So it's just part of the part of the process. A, what's a Pinkerton? Pinkertons <laughs> like were these. Uh, yeah. They were they were this private security company that was that was started in like 1850 in the Wild West, and basically you could hire them to like protect your train, protect your like. You know, if you were going across like the Wild West, because there was no infrastructure, there was no like federal presence, yeah. there was no rule of law. So it was like you either pay them or you could get robbed or there's highwaymen, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, but they were noted for like their brutality. And um, yeah, they, they kind of got squashed once the feds came in. They were like, hey, you got to stop that. So, uh, um, yeah, once rule yeah. of law came, then it was like, all right, Pinkertons, go pinky somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yet existence. So, uh, when, yeah. You, when you mentioned like selectors and Zach XBT and finding these little clues like, oh, like this person's this nationality. Oh, this person's in that time zone. It reminds me of Rainbot, uh, the Google Maps player on Twitter. Have you, or TikTok, have you seen his videos where- No. So it, it's, it's incredible. They'll flash mm -hmm. like a second of a random location on Google Maps. And then from like that one second blink, he can tell from like the color mm -hmm. of like the dirt, like the the mm -hmm. like the species of tree exactly where in the world where that location is, and so it's like, oh, yeah. this is like Mobile, Alabama. Like, oh, this yeah. is Moscow, Russia. Yeah, and I've so seen like those, like mm -hmm. yeah, I know and what so, you're like, talking about. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like having like those little clues, like those like little clues are his selectors and finding locations around the world. Uh, yep. Zach XPT and all these other bounty hunters and all these other selector hunters they do the same thing but mm -hmm. just on chain like one little thing it's like oh this is like someone like out yep. in japan would do or this and that is that a good comparison yeah yeah I'd, I'd say so i mean like and it's different types of intelligence right like what we do is signals intelligence or sigint what you're talking about is like geoint mazint which is like oh. measurement and like instrumentation like like that kind of intelligence um yeah which mm -hmm. I mean, Mazid is like, that's a whole different level of intelligence that I couldn't even begin to, to touch. That's like real, real high level type shit. Um, What's Mazid but, again? Yeah, so it's uh, measurement and I think it's uh, measurement and signal, measurement and signature intelligence. Yeah. So, uh, so it's basically like they use, um, you use like sensing instruments to see, like a good example would be, for example, um, let's say you had drone footage of, or like some kind of like U2 spy plane or something that was flying over Iraq. Let's just use Iraq as an example. You get some kind of footage of a compound in the middle of the desert and there's the compound and then maybe there's like a, a crate of something outside and then you see like a, a Toyota, like a tactical, right? With like the machine gun in the back or whatever. And that's all you see in the picture, right? And let's say the plane flies over every single day for six months, every day, every day, every day. Takes the same picture, same picture. Truck never moves. Compound is sitting there, obviously. The, the crank never moves. It's like it's, like it's a band, right? What Mazint would allow you to do is that that picture could look exactly the same. It could look exactly the same. But then one day something about the Mazet signature, sensor signature says, no, 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 wait a minute. This truck moved. Because some, some like anti, some like terrorist cells or some like adversarial groups or like really expert 
asymmetric warfighters, they'll move that that truck because they know that there's someone watching them or they'll do things at a certain time and when they bring it back, they'll park it exactly the way they had. They'll make sure the wheel is exactly where it was when it's the other way. They'll make sure it looks exact just because they're hiding something because there's something going on that they don't want people to know about, right? And the Mazin is able to say like, we can see to this like end of a degree that there was some kind of like energy transfer. There was some kind of like change uh, between this photo mm -hmm. and this photo that shows movement occurred. We don't know when, we didn't get a picture of it, but it's, something's happening. It's a live site, right? And then if it's a live site, you would, you enhance intelligence. You deploy more resources. You put somebody on the ground, right? Do what you gotta do. So that's massive. So but real, uh, real spooky, mathematical, like, wow. yeah. Real weird stuff. So, voodoo, some might say voodoo some energy, yeah. some reiki. I feel it. Black, I feel the energy. Black magic, <laughs> black magic fuckery, as we call it. Yep. So, <laughs> that's a technical yeah. term, folks. Black magic fuckery. It is um, black but, magic okay. BMS. So, so so now i mean obviously in crypto we keep on hearing these exploits almost every other month right just a couple of weeks ago we had the curve exploit and that happened mm -hmm. from like almost like um viper exploit the viper exploit yep. right right the viper specifically but it was from basically the beginning of the curves time though. So this was just a dormant threat that just kind of survived through. And um, my question is that, why do you think there are so many exploits in crypto? And are there just as many in web two, except, you know, they have the first 72 to react so we don't hear about it after? Well, to be honest with you, this is, it's a, I'm glad you brought this up. It's actually kind of why it's why I'm building Drosera, the other product, because um, there's something mm -hmm. that's that's occurring in like development DeFi that it's not really a thing in Web two anymore. And what I mean by that is you have extremely agile teams in an extremely unstructured industry environment with very little regulatory consideration with very little sort of codified ways to do things who are really just optimizing speed and they're trying to get products into the space as quickly as possible go to market as quickly as possible pump tokens as quickly as possible which we saw in DeFi summer when the bull when the bear market or the bull market was here and they're trying to do this as quickly as possible and they don't have time to sit there and do this like DevSecOps crap where they're like, okay, let's test it. Let's talk to the people here. Let's run it again. Let's deploy it. Let's they don't have time for that. They're like, all right, let's write some damn solidity. Okay, are we good? Everything's good. We launch it. Does it pass the test? It runs. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Right? And then it's like, oh, wait, sorry. The one thing they'll do uh, anybody got 250k for an auditor? Okay, give me the 250k auditor. <laughs> come here, come here. Look at this. Does it look good? Look, the auditor goes. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, it look good to me, you know. So, all right, thanks, man. Here's 250,000. I'm gonna tweet later, retweet that you audited me, and then we're good to go. All right, boys, send it. Right, that's DeFi. So that's why. <laughs> that's why we've lost like 80 billion 
since 2014, which is fucking insane. 80 like billion. Last, yeah. Yeah. 80 billion since 2014. Last year alone, I think uh, I think it was the FBI that reported the statistics. So it might be bullshit. I like messing with the FBI. Um, but yeah, the FBI <laughs> said 10 billion in in hacks in 2022, and four billion of that was from crypto, DeFi. So the other six billion mm. is from the vast, much larger Web two space. So on a ratio, on like a per capita scale, right? It's like crypto is notoriously riskier. It's more susceptible to hacks. It's more susceptible to exploits. And I like to say, like, look, when you're a CISO in Web two, you can afford to be a little lazy. You can afford to like miss What's a thing a or two here or there. Uh, Chief Information Security Officer. So like C-suite level, like cybersecurity, right? If you're in Web 2 and you're doing that, you can afford to be a little lazy because you've got so much shit. So much tool. You have so many tools. You have such a budget from these big, massive corporations that it's like, okay, bro, you found an exploit. Like, unless it's like some insane critical phone, like, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm, I'm nested behind so many security products, bro. Bring it on. I've got automated response out the wazoo. I've got a SOAR, SIM. i got everything, right? In Web3, uh, you got to unify. You got you got a bug bounty posting. And <laughs> you've got your certificate of audit. And then it's like, good luck. Your product's launched. Good luck. That's like yeah, it's kind of crazy right. that that's that's yeah, it. come again. <laughs> that was not, that's not, I mean, that's not, that's not, like, dude. I looked at take incident response. This is another thing, and I, I like to rag on audits, like to rag on book boundaries. They're they're necessary. You do need them, and there are good audit they're firms out the there. They're, they're part of the process. They're part of the process. Part of the tapestry. But the missing one is like, homie, incident response. Look at incident response in Web two. I'll take two products: CrowdStrike Falcon and uh, IBM Q Radar. Those two products alone, th th just those two incident response products have a $50 billion market cap. Those two, 50 billion. And you know how many are in DeFi? You know how many incident response products? Zero. Zero. Fucking goose egg. Goose <laughs> egg, sir. So, you know, and then we I, have I the show worst up. Incidents. <laughs> dude, I show up to DeFi and it's like, uh, you know, the first thing I saw was like Patrick at SpongeBob being like, we did it. We saved the city and everything's fucking on fire. I'm just standing there like, <laughs> what, 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 you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm tackling that, man. And I, I think that's, you know, that's part of the symptom is that you have this like rich, fat pig full of just money sitting in these vaults, these pools. And it's like this huge, and it's very volatile. That's another thing. And these very volatile situations, think about it in real life. If you're in a nation or an area where everything is extremely volatile. There's no structure. There's no stability. It's very easy for there to be shifts of power in small amounts of time, shifts of resources, right? Take warring states in the third world, for example, right? It's the same fucking concept in DeFi. You've got the same thing happening. You have tons of money coming in. You have these different like factions and warlords in DeFi who like hoard all this money mm. and then raiders come in and they take it. And it's easy to take because there's no structure. There's nothing there that's helping these people. There's no security. There's no and so how so, does Josera tackle this problem? Because we focus on the thing that everyone seems to be ignoring, which is 
in DeFi, you have to look at what, what does the hacker want? You can't base your, because in all security, it's like, doesn't matter if it's physical security, right? You're at the bar, the guy's about to punch you in the face, or you're doing cybersecurity. doesn't matter. For you, if you're at the bar, a guy's about to punch you in the face, the punch coming towards you is the alert. Homie, you're about to get punched in the face. Your response <laughs> needs to be, your response needs to be, I'm about to, huh? I need to move the fuck out the way. I need to duck. I need to hit him back. I need to do something. Right? I need to protect myself. Right? Okay. So we're, we're not going to say that the response mechanism should be, well, you need to have something that watches for if he throws a left hook or if he throws a right uppercut or if he throws this kind of attack or this, or he tries to knee. No, that's not what you think about. What you think about is like, oh shit, somebody's about to fucking hurt me. I need to move. I need to respond. Right. That's how you need to think about it. That's how you need to think about security in DeFi because you don't have what you had in Web 2. In Web 2, you've got ways to say, if something comes in on port 22 at 3 a.m. from Singapore and I live in Iowa, okay, obviously that's bad, right? There's some kind of anomaly there. Take action, right? You could do that in Web 2. Bro, in DeFi, all you have is hashes and money moving. That's what you got, right? So you just need to think, you have to say, well, what are they trying to do? They're trying to take my money. Most of the time it's a TVL site, vast majority of the time, like more than 95%, if not more, Yeah. right? Most of the time it's a TVL site. So all you say with Drosera is you say, look, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna reveal to the public how much TVL needs to be moved for my trigger to come in. I'm not gonna reveal to the public how many blocks it needs to happen. I'm gonna keep that secret because I don't want the public to know. I don't want the hacker to know that so he can try to walk around it or work around it. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that opaque, right? And I'm going to put up something to where if that condition gets broken, a response action gets taken, something to contain or mitigate. Because that's the other thing. A lot of people think this is black mirror bullshit where it's one transaction, one submission, boom, all the money's gone. It's not the case. And over 90% of exploits that we've seen, it's not the case. In a really sophisticated one where you've got an APT or a nation state, sure, they got unlimited money. They know what the fuck they're doing. But a lone wolf? Lone wolf hacker? No. Not. It's multi-payload. So if you have that first payload that comes in that's like, oh, somebody just pulled, let's take, let's take Nomad, for example. Nomad was like 200 million taken out. Total TVL side and taken out over two hours. Man, the first time you saw that that first submission come out that took that first million. That's your containment right there. That shouldn't be happening. That's an anomaly. You make the anomaly based on the siphon, right? You make it based off of what the hacker wants. That's what differentiates your serif. Let's go back to DeFi Security Summit. All these guys at DeFi Security Summit, I love you, my brothers. I know you're trying to make, make a bag. I know you're trying to make some money. I see the grift. I respect the hustle. But coming out with AI, machine learning, cybersecurity product number 5,872, it's not going to work. You know why it's not going to work? Flash bots. Private memos. Yeah, that, that's exactly work. what I was thinking. Not going to yeah. work. So you can't prevent them. You can't prevent them before they get finalized. So you have to have something created where you can contain them as quickly as possible. That's what your serve is. And so... And so how does the containment work? Like walk us through, for, let's say Nomad is an example. Let's say Nomad gone right. 
million Jim. siphoned out. That's an anomaly. Mm. Uh, what would be the next take action taken by Drosera in this situation? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, in the example, just for simplicity, let's say it was like, you know, it was over two hours and let's say every block it was, you know, a million moving out per block or something like that. Well, maybe maybe Nomad Team to Drosera and they set up a monitoring job where the monitoring job said, hey, if fucking $5 million moves out of the ecosystem within five blocks, well, holy shit, that should probably never happen, right? And even if it does happen, it's some kind of market condition that would be interesting for me to know or see, even if it's not mm -hmm. malicious necessarily, right? It's a whale, right? So what you would say then is that like, and again, yeah, sure, block one comes through, a million's gone. Ah, that sucks. Block two comes through, another million gone. Damn, that sucks too. All the way to block five. Yeah, you lost five million. The minute that condition is picked up by the operators who are watching and comparing that state and they see that that state gets broken, it's an optimistic relay to say, we're submitting right now. We can objectively attest based on what we see on the chain that this has happened. And because it happened, we need to take X response. What could that response be? Could be pausing the protocol. It could be swapping treasury funds to a safe location. It could be, hell, if it's another ecosystem that you're connected to or, or you have a bridge with or channel open to, right? You could say, if I see that condition there, I close the bridge, I close the channel, I close the connection. I don't want them to spill over to my ecosystem, right? So there's a lot of ways yeah. you can kind of just, yeah, you can frame it how you want, right? So yeah. the yeah. Frax team is always up and during that Nomad bridge hack, they actually responded faster than the Nomad team themselves. They were able to get their TV. <laughs> no, I'm dead certain. They were able to get their TV. They they couldn't save all of it. I they got screwed over by uh you know a mev bot like sniping like a solid few mil. But they got like a solid amount Next. out even even like even before like two three weeks before they had like a hunch like we shouldn't have so much money in these bridges and they took tens of millions out before like. You know all these like harmony and like all this other shit, and they're Sir, just like fuck this, fuck all these bridges. Time to Mev Chads, bridge. the Mev Chads stay winning always. That's why oh my, my CTO is a Mev guy. Yeah. My CTO is a Mev guy. I said I want the best of the best. Like Mev Chads stay winning, whether it's White Hat or you wake up one day and you're like, oh shit, I got I got ten mil. Probably like. <laughs> Did I frog run an exploit? What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's so. insane. Like when exploits happen, I've oh, been in, like wow. a, I've seen a few of these situations, and like okay. you know, you think you're about to like save like like you know six figs, seven figs, or something like that, and all of a sudden, swoop, swoop, Mev comes <laughs> in and just just nabs. Yeah. It. And you're like, what? The, what yeah. the? You're just so blindsided, and it takes a minute for it yeah. to say. I was like, oh shit! But there's probably uh -huh. like like real good Mev guys. There's there's probably like less than a hundred of them in the world that can like compete at like that high a level. And it's honestly. also about like how, how mature the model is too, like how long you've had it running, like how, like, you know, it has to really kind of build up to that point. And, you know, I think that's big too, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. Mev chat, stay with him, bro. I, I, think, for sure. that, I think there was this meth, um, during the USDC oh, yeah. DPEG or something, somebody tried to obviously you know arb that DPEG, but they mm -hmm. uh, they turned like a million dollars into like a hundred and fifty dollars because the Mev was able to just eat all of that because I guess the person just cranked up slippage to like the max because they wanted to get in. Yeah, I forgot that there was there was somebody tweeted that that was like one of the headlines uh, during that crazy moment. Holy but man! I was just like, 
dude. I hate Mets myself, man. I really keep won. on winning. Yeah. yeah, but now I, I got a question about that though. Let's say a Mev Chad Mevd an exploiter. <laughs> now, if this, if if he, so, now is the the Mev Chad com- a an accomplice like in, in this because that he now also <laughs> owns part of the exploited funds. <laughs> Should he return said exploited uh, funds? He's like, yo, my bad, guys. My mev just mevved, you know? <laughs> I mean, should he? That's like a moral consideration. It's like based on Western moral ideals. Yeah, he probably should, right? I mean, it's not his money. He should bring it back. But at the same time, there's no like, there's nothing requiring him to do that. And that's why I kind of like, I kind of cringe a little bit at these folks who are like, we're going to make this crazy thing that's like going to front run the hack. We're going to take the hack. Then we're gonna give the money back to you. And it's like, are you though? Like, how do I know? Like, we don't have an SLA. <laughs> like, what? It's like, yeah. what what if it's like a really big hack and you just like keep, you know what I mean? Like, what if you're just like, yeah, I don't know, like like you don't really need a business model at that point, right? You can just say, Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. How are you gonna make money? Uh, the first time it works, we're gonna just take all the money and run to Dubai. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, what? Like, why is that the, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. So, so I can't get on more without. Where's Josera at right now in its, in its development? Is it live? Is it being planned? Uh, what's the timeline looking like for Josera? Yeah, it's getting built up right now. We're uh, we're in the thick of it with fundraising. So we're like eight, six to eight weeks-ish in on fundraising. Um, like actual earnest fundraising. And obviously we had ECC that came up and Everybody went on vacation in August. So it's been kind of like a, you know, it's a lot of due diligence and like the the boring stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the thick of it. We're raising right now. And uh, it's it's being built as we speak up and self-funding it through Groom Lake. Um, yeah. So and that's the other vision I have Groom is like, Lake dude, is... when you think about, go ahead. Uh, no, you go ahead. Okay. I was just saying like, that's the other thing too, is that um, when you think about like, a lot of people have been harping lately about UI UX, how we need to have like more approachability in crypto, like that's big, just in DeFi as a whole. Um, that's like central to what we do too, right? I want to, I want someone to be able to leverage Drosera at a price point that's like less than a bug bounty, less than an audit. And I want them to be able mm-hmm. to do it where they can just go mm-hmm. to a website, click a button. There's a walkthrough of like, okay, choose your options, click this, click this. What do you want your response to be? And then it just like, it just shits out a little like require statement. You put that in your response contract for your protocol and that whitelists only a Drosera operator if they reach consensus, if they prove it mathematically to be able to launch that. And it takes like, bro, it takes like five minutes to make that. Whereas when you think about using like these other options that are totally programmatic, it's like you, you gotta sit there and structure them. I mean, it's like a sprint. You, you have to get developers to actually build out some of these monitoring parameters for you. You can't just like be a CEO and like, you know, it's not like using Typeform or Google, you know what I mean? It's like, it's way harder to, to use. And I think it's like, that's the other problem with security in the space is that we don't have approachable security products, right? We need more. We don't have approachable security products. And like the fact yep. you're building Drosera to be cheaper than a bug bounty, to be accessible by everyone, protocols of all sizes, <laughs> Will make the space so much safer all around. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's where say, we're going. 
Groom Lake, Drosera, the one-two punch, Drosera to protect you, and then Groom Lake to come in. Like, you know, if shit hits the fan, well, Groom Lake right. is there. That's yeah. right. And, Drosera's and the jab. You can deploy no, keep him at distance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> then, you, then you get that straight yeah. right from Groom Lake when you need it, you know, when the, when the shit really hits the fan. So, yeah. Straight, straight deployment within 48 hours to get an operative into the front door of the exporter. Yeah. So, so when uh, FDR first told me this, I, in my mind, I just imagined like these are task rabbits, but for like ninjas. Instead, you're like, hey, I got a task. Let me just put it out there. And like these ninjas respond to it. Um, so that's. Yeah. Let's uh, chunk uh, down a bit to just best practices in general. So what are some yeah. you know, safe security best practices, OPSEC, that you see that are actually useless. Like, let's like debunk all that stuff right now for just like people personally. Uh, it depends on what you want protection from. Um, if it's like, like a, the one that really you know comes to mind are VPNs. That's the one that really <laughs> comes to mind because and it, and again, this is contextual based on like if you're worried about privacy, right? Where the most like the most secure thing that you could use regardless whether it's vpn or any other kind of software the most secure thing that you could do is use a localized software that is as proprietary as possible so what does that mean in the context of vpns it means using like for example like using open vpn but fully customizing it through like the advanced capabilities as much as possible to, to make it to where it's not this like uh, out of the box solution for like a government to be able to get access to or to touch. And like with VPNs, there's there's this idea of like the 14 eyes and you can actually go look up like, oh, what are who are VPNs that exist outside of the 14 eyes countries, which is like the US, UK, some other EU countries. And those are folks who have like some level of shared intelligence gathering, right? So if you have a VPN that you're using that's based in Italy and you're nervous about the feds, you're nervous about whoever, and you're using that, well, it's very easy based on 14i's intelligence agreements for the NSA or for the Bundeswehr or the German you know, intelligence directorate or for UK intelligence directorates to go to the Italian government and say, hey, this Italian company that provides VPN services is potentially... Uh, protecting a group of hackers living in Rome or something, right? And we want to embed and see what we could find out, embed with the organization. We want any data that you could give us. We want potential intercepts or tap, right? There's all these different ways that they could kind of like carve this out. So the thing you have to remember is if you truly want as much privacy as possible, you have to do things as air-gapped as possible, as local as possible, and on the endpoint as much as possible. You don't want the data going elsewhere. The minute that the data leaves your custody, it's fair game, is the way I like to think of it, right? Or leave something where you control custody. It's fair game. Um, so that, I think that's a pretty bad OPSEC. Uh, other bad OPSEC is uh, using SMS for 2FA. It's like, what was, why? I mean, it's better than no 2FA, sure, but just don't do it. Use use a virtual authenticator. If you use a YubiKey, I'm probably going to make fun of you 
because I'm going to think you're paranoid or you have schizophrenia, um, or you're just like a really professional sysadmin who really cares about their job, which in that case, still going to make funny. But I think virtual <laughs> authenticator is the way to go. It's convenient. It's it's safer. I mean, that's that's the best thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot, man. I could go on for hours. I know we only got 15 minutes. So. Oh, you can go longer if you want. We really like this okay. one. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. the other thing is... Uh, if you go over... Yeah, uh-huh. go ahead. Yeah, the other thing is... Uh, um, uh, What? Am I breaking up? No. You're good. Okay. Still hear me? I think the feds heard me talking yep. about them and they, they came after us, man. They're coming after the, the broadcast. <laughs> Um, no, this is, this is actually more so like not, this is a kind of a different context. This is not like what people are doing. That's actually bad offsite, but this is actually more so like a recent trend I've seen with some of our clients where there's a, there's this attack vector. It's not new, but it is an attack vector that's gaining steam where it's very easy for people to get PII personally identifiable information from leaks dark web, deep web, uh, sellers, like information brokers on these different like sort of underpinning sites. And if they get that, one thing I've seen people do recently is that they'll call, they'll figure out who your DNS provider is um, using like DNS dump or just like taking your site and like running like analysis on it. And they'll actually socially engineer the support team at the DNS provider's site and they'll be like, oh, like, yeah, I'm insert protocol CDO or like head of whatever company. Uh, this is my name. Like, this is my social security number. This is my email. This is else. I just, I just can't get my account. Like, you guys help me. And to the, to the person on the other side, the support person at the DNS provider, they're like, damn, this guy gave me literally every piece of information that could possibly be given about this human being. It must be them. And they're just like, sure, buddy, like, let me get everything fixed for you and set up. What's a, what's a new email I could send this recovery to, right? And they send it. And once they get access to that DNS, if you're using something like, for example, I don't know, Google Works, right? If they're able to reset and redirect these DNS records to where they could get like a mail server push to a malicious site, like something they control, well, guess what? You're fucked because now they can go to every other tool that you use, ClickUp, uh, I don't know, Notion, um, you know, any anything. And any of these other DocSend, DocSend, whatever. Wherever you have like sensitive stuff, say Dropbox, you know, and they can put in, I forgot my password, send me a recovery email. Well, guess what? The minute that recovery email gets sent to you, it gets redirected to what they control now. They just reset all your passwords, get access to every environment. So I think something that might be valuable for people to do that is like very proactive and it's a little sweaty would be to call the support team for whoever your DNS provider is, or really like the support team for any really sensitive environment you have. This is like traditional cyber. It's not like necessarily DeFi cyber, but traditional cyber consideration. Call them and say, look, I'm never going to ask you to reset this over like an email or like some like chat bot. If anyone ever reaches out to reset my stuff, like make it to where they have to send a picture of my face, 
with my ID, with a timestamp, no, or something. Something like that. Something that would be like such a pain in the ass for a hacker to try to get, it would just be impossible, right? Or mm -hmm. say, in order for this to happen, I have to like literally do a video call and you have to see me. You know, something like, like that because social engineering, people don't realize this, it's like 94% of hacks, right? 94% of hacks is just like some guy finessing another guy. It's not like, oh, I know the exploit to like this vulnerability and I'm going to finesse you. No, like, it's Hollywood. So, but try to think what else. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we can move on to the next question. Uh, can you give some sure. advice to builders and founders who are listening to this pod right now? Uh, what are some good preventative cares they can take before an exploit and hack? How can they prepare? And how can they prevent? Uh, biggest thing is, I, I touched on this earlier, crisis response plans. Everyone like does these, by the way. Crisis response plans, having something in place where it's... Yeah, just, you know, shameless self-plug, but... This is something where, again, like um, it's a it's a tactic that's been adopted by even the U.S. military, where it's this belief that communication is the most important facet to conflict, to war fighting, to coordination, to getting a, a good outcome to an objective in the quickest time possible. It's all about communication, and there are if you have a crisis response plan where you can activate it, and everyone knows exactly what they have to do in this situation. They know that if they're a Discord manager or a community manager, they have to say exactly this, they have to put this message out, or they have to, you know, do rotational shifts like this to like keep the peace for 48 hours. That's one thing. That's great, right? Do you know exactly like this guy's the incident response manager, right? He's the one who's kind of like the the operator, like the call center to kind of pass the comms between everyone, make sure everyone's on the same page. That's great. You've got no one's missing a beat. You know what I mean? You've got your lawyers in there who they're helping you with maybe some of the PR communications or helping you consider like how to structure a negotiation email. Very powerful. Good to have those guys. Right. So I think that's like probably the number one proactive thing that if you haven't done it, you need to do it. Right. And you need to kind of have these these days where just take like two or three hours after you've made this thing and like do a practice run. It's really you're really not fire drill. Fire yeah, drill. do it like once every year at least, or once every six months. Something, something's better than nothing, man. Like, yeah, that's that's probably the number one thing. Um, you know, other stuff is just, I mean, don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't get an audit and think that you're untouchable because again, audits are point in time. They're static, and if you're doing upgrades on contracts or if you're making changes to code bases after that, and you're not getting audited every single time that happens, which if you are, you got money. Um, then yeah, it's just like, you never know when something's going to come up. So yeah. And again, I talked about this earlier. Unfortunately, there is nothing to really help you in that regard, but it's just slow your roll, right? There's an old saying in the military where it's like, it's like, uh, fast, slow is fast, fast is so something like that. I forget what it is. God, I sound like George W. Bush. <laughs> you remember when George W. Bush was like, Shane, Shame on you. Fool me once. Fool, fool me twice. Fool Can't get fooled again, right? now. I got, I got to remember that saying, but it's like, it was like slow, no, slow is smooth, right? If you move smooth, yeah. you know, be smooth with it. You know, don't always be trying to push stuff be out smooth. like as quickly yeah. as possible. Yeah, be smooth with it, man. Take your time, you know, take an extra day before launch. Just be like, yo, are we good? 
let's look at this one more time. Fresh set of eyes. You know what I mean? Like, there's too. There's a lot of aping. Keep aping. I'm not saying that, but it's like, I don't know. It's hard to relate, man. You ain't got to worry about nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> worry about that. Ain't worry about that. So it's FDR for uh, you said is, is, is it CSR or CRS like a critical response system or critical response uh, plan? Crisis, crisis response plan. Yeah. Some people, there crisis are other ones plan. that are more formalized, like a BCDR plan, but a BCDR plan is more for like traditional infra. It's a little different. Crisis response plan is more like the human element to me, right? Which is key. Gotcha. So. Okay. And, and what are some elements of a crisis response plan? If you could give me just basically like, like if I were to open up this booklet, like what are the table of contents? Uh, essentially, like when you're looking at that, it would it would be the number one thing you have to determine is, are the roles and responsibilities of the people who form like the incident response or the crisis response team. So you have to say like, okay, who is the person who's responsible for being like the IR manager, the incident response manager? That's the person who is that like sort of the middle of the octopus with the tentacles, kind of like pulling the right people. That should be someone like a CISO or someone with a security background, you know, maybe a CTO kind of like has a little bit of that security exposure, right? That's where they should be. Um, and they should kind of have the, the authority vested in them to execute this plan. And you should be able to believe in them to execute this plan and maintain composure. Could be the CEO as well, right? But that's, that's a lot to ask the CEO. And a lot of times the CEO is going to have his own mission to do uh, when this is happening, right? In terms of exposure to stakeholders or the community or reassuring people, right? Like mm -hmm. he's going to be kind of more involved in other things. So I usually don't advise for it to be see. The other thing you should have is, you know, on this, on this table, this, this responsibilities table, it's like you have to include the other executives, like the other people in executive leadership. And it also depends on the context of what the crisis is in a way. For example, if it's a crisis where it's an insider threat, this guy working for your company who's causing problems, or maybe you have advanced notice, but he doesn't know that you know it's him. Well, you're going to want your head of HR in there. You're going to want somebody who has that little bit of like human touch. You know what I mean? You want them in there to say, what's the best way to tackle this where we don't like potentially set off a bomb, right? Or a, a way to where we can amicably get this guy out of the picture, you know, things like this, right? So it's kind of contextually based, and that's why when you make these crisis response plans, it's like these are sort of based on very thematic concepts of what you might encounter: an insider threat, a technical attack, on-chain exploit, um, you know, a PR crisis, like something on Twitter. Somebody said the CEO hit them, so you know, whatever, whatever it is, you have these different kind of like game plans. Um, after you kind of determine what the roles and responsibilities are, it's just saying this is what's going to happen first because you have to, again, the communication structure is everything. So the first thing you'll say is this is the procedure. Number one, the IR manager is going to open up a Google Meet or they're going to start some kind of like shared communications with the team. Uh... They, it's their responsibility to corral everyone into that as quickly as possible. And then as people are entering, Someone needs to be taking notes, like op notes, and then anyone who's entering that call, if they have an initial action that they can take, they need to take it. You don't just sit in the call and wait for everybody from the tree to get in and you're wasting time. No. The PR manager from Discord gets in, great. Hey, I'm the IR manager. This is what you're going to do. You're going to put out this disclosure to Discord. You're going to answer questions. If you get any that are like kind of weird, you can ping me for advisory, right? Go. 
right? They stay in the call, but they go do it, right? And then everyone's in this call, they're feeding information. It's a war room. That's all it is. It's a war room. They're feeding information mm -hmm. from each side. And it's the IR manager's kind of expertise or responsibility to guide that to the quickest out, the quickest positive outcome from the situation. Um, they all look different though. There really is no like one set table of contents, right? But they all kind of look different. Got What's it. What's it like okay. being in a, in a war room in these active situations? If you have stuff like this, it's, you know, it's stressful and it's annoying, but at least you kind of know the next thing to do. You kind of have an idea of like what's coming next. It's like, if this guy comes in, I know exactly what I'm going to say and what he's going to do. And, you know, it's like an orchestra. So it's, it's a painful one, but you can do it. Uh, if you don't uh, have this, it's like, uh, yeah, exactly. But if you don't have a, a plan, it's kind of like everyone's just talking over each other, right? It's a lot of like, and eventually one person is going to kind of emerge and just naturally say, all right, everybody shut the fuck up. This is what we need to do. Let's try to make the best of it. But again, you waste so much time when that's, when that's the situation. Yeah. And every hour time. is so valuable. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Kid, I know. I see you're pondering. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm definitely thinking. And I said, kid. No, no, myself, myself, oh. me. Because um, I was just like, damn, if I were to find myself in, in in this situation, like, I would feel like such a damn fool if I didn't have a protocol set in place. Like, just exactly what you said. It's like, okay. The IR person comes in, spins open a you know uh, Zoom call that is just open twenty four seven. People can just hop in whenever they have information. They just sit there, and then once you know they know everybody's role. You're in charge of communications. You're in charge of reaching out to Groom Lake. And I'm okay. just imagining if somebody's out there, there there's um, critical response plan. It's like open up the booklet. It's just like FDR's this like telegram. <laughs> <laughs> it's like playing a football that's, game that's with right. no playbook. You know, it's like sending a team out there yes. and just being like, you're the quarterback, you're the running back, go. go. Well, what? Go have fun. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. hey, get open. Just, just throw the ball or something. What? Just get open. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Uh, Find your way to the end somehow. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, I'll yeah. throw it up there. Head, head that direction. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Now, so. now let's let's um let's fast forward slightly a little bit. Now that sure. like the hacker yeah. has fled with the bags, what uh -huh. is the founder left to do? Right? What is the founder uh, left to do? I mean, it goes back to what I said earlier, right? right? It's just about getting leverage, right? I kind of answered this. I, yeah. I jumped this one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you did. No, no, early, but, but I'm, I'm saying what what is literally in that. If you were to help the founder right now, what is with what would you do in that first literally minute, like that that had happened? Shameless self plug, maybe. No, I'm kidding. Um, in that first <laughs> yeah, minute, what would I do? One. What would I do? Another one. Um, what would I do? That's a good question. I mean, I guess it depends on the context of the situation. If it's like. Are we talking Millions about like all the, the money's gone, the TVL siphon, everything? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would, based on the current status of the industry, I would preferably optimally have some kind of, again, disclosure. I would activate an inc a crisis response plan that is structured around a TVL mm -hmm. siphon event. That's what I would do. And I would have some kind of communique prepared by my CMO or like whoever's the head of PR 
whoever that is, right? And I would try to get that out as quickly as possible just because the current paradigm in DeFi mm -hmm. is that they're going to know anyway and responsible disclosure shows like maturity as a business. So mm -hmm. you getting hacked and then not saying anything is going to look a lot worse than you being kind of the first one to say, hey, this happened, but we're already taking action. We've activated our crisis response plan. We're moving, right? That's going to give a lot more confidence to your community, your ecosystem, right? So you got to do that. Um, after that, it kind of just becomes how much are you willing to spend and what are your resources for this event? Because if you're just going to kind of, if you're just going to like create a proton mail where it's like hack submissions Please, please send us any information to this email. It's like, okay, well, good luck. I hope somebody comes to you and helps you out, right? Maybe your devs go in like crisis mode, like chickens with their head cut off, and they start looking at like forensics and trying to like do half-assed forensics, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. But again, if you don't get that little thread, that human selector, it's not going to really lead anywhere. So you just got to, yeah, at that point when you have that IR set up, it's gaining that leverage. Now, how these different parties help with gaining that leverage is the disclosure. The disclosure starts the manhunt. Right. The disclosure gets all the people in the community on alert. So it's been alerted that someone has stolen money and now a lot of people are looking. Okay, it's a little bit of pressure. A little bit, but it's pressure. Okay. Got it. okay. The next thing is you go to a wordsmith. Usually this is like a lawyer. But I like to say we're pretty good at this, but you know, lawyers are good at this as well, where it's like you carefully craft the verbiage of your communication eventually that you eventually have with the hacker, right? And you, the lucky thing is if they reach out to you, if they reach out to you, great. You've gained leverage. In that moment alone, you gained leverage because if I stole your money and I knew I wasn't going to get caught, I would never reach out. So the fact that they are reaching out means that they know they did something wrong, right? Mm, They're not going to come negotiate with you. They know, right? And th they made a mistake. Maybe you haven't seen it yet, but they made a mistake. They didn't make a mistake and everything's clean. What the fuck? Why are they going to talk to you? I'm out. I'll see you in Abu Dhabi, bro. Yeah. Come get me. You're not going to extradite me. How often homie, does that so... happen? How, how often does the attacker come back and, or I guess an attacker make a mistake? I mean, usually it's a, I mean, hackers very often make mistakes, especially script kitty one wolf kind of hackers. Yeah. Um, APT's less so. <laughs> oh yeah. They're it's fucking like meow in the code. They're, they're a menace, bro. <laughs> um, but no, it's like, uh, more often what we see is that it's got it. The pressure starts to get to them from like a public call from the protocol or from like the manhunt that's happening mm -hmm. or Zach XBT. And then maybe they'll reach out because they get a little worried. And who who wouldn't want a little 10%, 1.1 million and not have to worry about like the fear of like running around and, you know, people looking for them or being wanted or whatever. The fuck. You know, it's like some people, it's yeah. like, yeah, sure. I'll just take the 10% and I'll, I'll give you your money back. But again, it's like, it's a matter of if they messed up. Oh. But the best scenario, right, is that they reach out to you first organically. And that's why you have these communiques mm -hmm. built, ready to go. Um, and yeah, and a lot of times that could be where you get that first selector. Because if they send you the email and, you know, there's something in the, H in the headers of the email that disclose information, 
or you look at the timestamp of when the email was sent, or you copy and paste the contents of the email and run it in like a sentiment analyzer. That last one is, a, is key because people, different people around the world, some of them have a tendency to type and communicate in English a certain way. And you can run something through a sentiment analyzer from a hacker because they might be writing to you in English if you're an English speaking protocol. And when you run it, it'll tell you based on how we compared this to other people from other countries, this is like a 62% match that it's in, you know, Indonesia. Or it's a 52% mm. match that it's like Singapore, some kind of Singaporean person speaking English because this is something, mm -hmm. there's something in it that's similar to that, right? And then if you take that and you look at the timestamp and you connect it, you're like, hey, it's it's a normal working hour or it's a time when people would be awake in Singapore. Okay. Yeah, this is making sense. Right? So it's those little things that like form the picture. It's all about making a picture of who the person is. It's a puzzle. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're getting close to wrapping up, but before we go, sure. let's get one or two war stories out of you. Um, what are some, uh, yeah, let's <laughs> save the best for last. What are some uh -huh. uh, tales in the field? Uh, any high intensity situations? Uh, and, you know, the anything that comes to mind? Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got two. So one of them deals with, like a scammer, like a lone wolf kind of guy. And then the other one actually deals with a nation state. Um, there's a Russian APT actually. And I'll tell, I'll tell the APT one first. Yeah, so with the Russian APT, I won't disclose the client, I won't disclose what, what all happened essentially, but basically we were, it was normal working day. It was like afternoon time, I believe, if I remember correctly, like somewhere around like 3 p.m. We were like kind of winding down for the day. And what what used to occur is that at the end of the day, the people on my team, the operatives that I work with, will they'll send me kind of like an end of day report to say, hey, this is kind of like what went down today. This is like a debrief on what's going on with our different clients or in these different investigations or ops. And one of them was collecting some data from infra logs for a client to include in the debriefs. And they noticed that when they were looking at the infra logs that there was a massive influx of like remote access calls from a Russian IP, which I mean, most of the time when you're seeing these like mass exploit, just waves coming at you, if it's from Russia or if it's from like the PRC, People's Republic of China, um, they don't really care if you see them. They really don't. Like, what, what are you going to do? You can't extradite them to the U.S. You know what I mean? They're like, I'm just going to throw it at you. Are you, you going to stop me? You know? So they will like blatantly kind of challenge you. And wow, we saw crazy. it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. They they literally messed my operative message. They're like, yo, I, I just saw this. I was putting my debrief report together. Like, I'm about to respond. I said, do it. So operative took the IP ran it through Shodan and we found out that they had a, I'm not going to say the brand because I might be, I might get in trouble for this, but uh, they had a camera that they had on the system. And this camera in question has a default username and a default password. And the camera was reachable over the public internet. So we 
we reached out and we exploited, we counter-hacked and we exploited this camera, this camera system actually, that they were leveraging that was reachable over the public internet. And we used the default username, default password, it worked. So they didn't change it. <laughs> so we got in and we actually saw the, it was like camera feed, like something you would see from like a security officer's wow. desk where it shows like the different squares of like the different areas. And we got an indoor feed, we got an outdoor feed, and it was this big brick building with no windows, and a barbed wire fence in St. Petersburg. It was very late at night. Uh, it was snow on the ground. This was like in fall, winter time frame. And uh, we actually saw one of these guys at, the guy on the computer at the table, right? And he was in plain clothes, so he wasn't like directly attributed to like any kind of government or anything like that, but he was in plain clothes. And uh, about 30, we took screenshots of all this, like it's it's in our personal pride scrapbook. And uh, about 30 to 45 seconds later, the connection cut and we never saw or heard from the IP again after that, right? So we basically like hacked back, got access to their system, spooked them, and then they never touched us again. And if if that is a scenario where it was an APT or was some kind of like nation state actor, which it looked like a pretty professional facility, there were a lot of like laptops there. Um, you know, it looked like kind of like a hacker den, so I call it. Um, you know, it's probably one of the few times that you would find a direct conflict between two security elements in the space. So usually never happens. You always like come after they've hacked and you try to like fix or pick up the pieces, right? Or you set up the defenses and they try to hack and they fail. It's never, it's usually never like live going at each other or like fucking, but that, that was the one time that was. Um, so cool. So yeah, that, that was a successful counter and, and stuff. It's not a so, hacker den. It's, I mean, it's not a hacker house, it's a hacker den. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a crack den, you know what I mean? But it's just a bunch of like hackers eating McDonald's. That are cracked. Yeah or, yeah, or whatever is in Russia. I don't know if there's McDonald's there anymore, unfortunately. Well, not anymore because of the sanctions. Have... It's, dude, it's this crime against humanity, man. I love a good I love a good double quarter pounder. Um, okay, and then, yeah, the other one I wanted to talk about was uh, this one. This one's a lot. I actually kind of wrote a little outline for this one because yes. it's a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Like, was, we, we went through... Man, I mean, I had never... I had, I had rarely done intelligence gathering at this like sweaty of a level, but the fact that it worked was just like, oh, chef's kiss. So I'll give you the background. Okay, so basically I had a client, he had six figures taken from him from this like rug scam project in 2020, okay? Long time ago. I mean, this this case was cold, right? I mean, it was fucking two Ice years cold. ago. Ice cold. Get a jacket. And we only had two selectors. We talked about this idea of selectors. We only had two selectors. We had a dead LinkedIn with less than 60 connections, no profile picture, no data on it, no like, you know, place where he lived or went to school or any of this bullshit, nothing. There's a dead LinkedIn with a, a name that we didn't even know if it was a real name. And then we had um, a username on Twitter for someone who had I think interacted with like a post about the old project that was like the scam, right? So we had that user. That's all we got. Nothing else. And they said, good luck. We were, okay. 
I said, this is going to take forever, right? We're going to be working on this for a while, so let's keep it open. Well, we started scrubbing the Twitter first because that was the best way to go. And we were basically looking for ways to attribute the name from the LinkedIn. Uh, I'm going to call him Ulysses. So this guy, this Ulysses guy. We wanted mm -hmm. to figure out a way to correlate data on... Sure. Yeah, James Joyce. So we wanted we wanted to find out a way like to correlate the, the, data on. I mean, the, the book Tales Ulysses, of Brave Ulysses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you. But um, no, it's like uh, we we wanted to correlate that data for the name to whatever we could find from this username, right? So we scrubbed this Twitter and this username, and eventually, I mean, I fucking it was one of those things where like you scroll so much that your phone starts to fucking lag because you're just going so deep on the strip. Fuck, fuck, I was scrolling, scrolling, reading everything. Eventually, I find a picture where there's a dog and this guy who owns this handle is petting the dog. So I see his hand. I see his build. He's kind of a skinnier guy, like kind of vascular, you know, like skinnier people. And, it's, you know, he's reaching out and petting the dog and he's wearing a watch, right? It's all I saw. It's all I saw. But I said, okay. I've got something here, right? I've got a build. I've got his skin tone. He was a darker guy, right? So uh, who knows, right? He could have been Hispanic, African-American, anything, right? But he's a darker fellow. And I said, okay, good. We've got something here. So we took that and I, just, I, I went and I looked. I said, where, where can I find this guy like contributing or replying or liking or retweeting other projects on Twitter because he has a Twitter handle and he's active. It's anonymous, but he's active, right? And I see him retweeting and liking a bunch of stuff for a lot of different projects, but there's one in particular that he really, really cared about. And he didn't just care about it, but he mentioned sometimes in his tweets like, great, the team is doing a great job. I couldn't be more proud. Shit like that. Well, that's usually that means you got a little bit of advanced uh, knowledge about what the team's doing, right? You're kind of like you're in the know. So I went to that project on Twitter, this protocol, and I said, I know that what this guy's skin tone is. I know his build. He's kind of like a lightyear looking dude, maybe. So let me see what I can find. Sure enough, when I'm looking at this protocol on Twitter, this was around the same time I think they went to East Denver. So this was around East Denver, and they're posting a bunch of pictures from East Denver. And... It was really weird because all the people on the team uh, did things to obfuscate their faces, even in the posts that they were putting on Twitter of the team, like for the protocols page. So I couldn't even see who the team members were. And you wouldn't have unless you were at East Denver when that picture was taken. So I said, hmm, that's a little bit of advanced obfuscation for a protocol. That's, that's a little like you might be worried about something. So I did it again. I scrolled through, looked through all the pictures. Eventually, I found a picture taken from the back mm. of the sky. And he had the exact same build, exact same skin tone, and he was wearing the exact same shirt as the guy from the dog picture. And I said, this wow. is the guy. This is him, right? And I looked and I said, what else can I get from this now that I see more of his body? Well, I see he's got a certain haircut. He's wearing a certain brand of glasses. He has a certain cut to his facial hair, right? His head structure. You know what I mean? What kind of shoes, clothes he wears. Okay. 
got all of that. I took all of that data and I said, now I'm going to start to focus on this name, this James Joyce name from LinkedIn. And what I want to do is I want to find anyone with that name who is around this guy's age. And I want to see if they have social media profiles on Facebook, Instagram, anything, right? I did that. Not only that, but I also wanted to select her on the person had to have some kind of connection to crypto. So again, we leverage our intelligence network for this. We got like four or five, six matches. There weren't a lot of them. Very specific name, very specific details given from the selectors, very specific area of interest with crypto. We whittle it down and I found one guy, one James Joyce, and I went to his Facebook profile. He had the same glasses, he had the same build, big smile, same facial hair, everything. It was the guy. It was the guy from the East Denver picture, and it was the guy who was petting the dog. And I said, okay, this is him. This is my fellow. And on this social media page, it said, oh, he used to live in another state, right? He used to live in Florida, and now he lives in New York. Okay, now I've narrowed it down even further. So I said, shrink it down for me to where it's someone who was all those other things and they used to live in Florida and now they live in New York. And I got that one guy, it was him, and I got a phone number, okay? When I got the phone number, I went and said, I'm gonna look at all the VCs who invested in this project that he's been gassing up on Twitter. I'm gonna look at their entire list of VCs from their, their round. And I found a name of one of them and I found the name of like an associate or someone he probably would have talked to in the facilitating of this, this investment. And I sent him a text from a, from a burner number. I said, hey, this is so-and-so from so-and-so VC. How are you doing? Are you, uh, are you still working like this? Like I have a new number. I wanted to make sure you had it. And I got a response back. And the response back was, hey, glad to hear from you. Yeah, of course, I'll make sure I save your number in my phone. Got his phone number, done, done deal, right? The minute you've got the phone number and all that, it was too easy to, to corner where the address was. Once we had the address, it was like a 99% match of who the guy was, right? He met every single criteria. And then we passed it off to the client and the client was able to litigate the money back. So, uh, yep. Oh, so, because before it was like deep. totally anonymous, rug coal guy left. Yeah. So we found him. Oh, wow. Dude, I got goosebumps. Yeah. So it's riveting, like all the way to the end. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's crazy. The goodness. stuff you put online, man, it could be really used against you. It could really be used against you. Right. So, yeah, I, yep. I just, I mean, it's crazy because I, I kind of just assume that somebody could find me if they like really want. To. <laughs> it's so bad. It's, it's so hard to have privacy now. It's like almost impossible. Like you I mean, that's have, like, why I don't do the whole people. like, yeah, I, I don't do the LARP, you know, I don't, I'm not like running around on crypto Twitter with like an anime girl picture. Like you can, you can never know who I am. Like, you know, I just, <laughs> it's like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, come on. Somebody wants to know bad enough. They will. Right. Like I got nothing yeah. on. So. But as we uh, reach the end of this interview, let's get to know FTR the person. Let's go oh, beyond gosh. the chain. Oh, beyond the Beyond, the, beyond the chain? Is this a segment? Beyond, beyond the chain. <laughs> All right, let's this do is it. beyond I the like chain. It. Yes. This is a lightning round. Right. Okay. Ahead. All right. So, uh, oh. first question is When did you first touch the blockchain? What was your virgin crypto experience? And sex doesn't count. 
I mean, I can't talk about it because it was on. It was on mission. So next question. <laughs> okay. Said it, enough. Enough. Said it, it was enough. in a windowless right. building. <laughs> All right. Second question. Um, what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity, hobbies, and interests? Touch grass activity. <laughs> um, oh, geez. Um, ooh. I mean, lately it's Baldur's Gate three. I've been playing a shit ton of Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's been like yes, my muse yes, lately. Yes. Yeah. So BG3 right now and uh, video games at large. And uh, I'm, I've actually, uh, from like an athletics or like sports kind of standpoint, I've been a boxer for like seven years, seven or eight years. So that's like my my exercise and like what I do oh, for, for I sport. I just started boxing. So. Like, I, I just went Hell boxing yeah, before this interview. Oh, shit. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's dedication, nice. man. I appreciate yeah. you. Appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I'm dedicated. This has been my thing for the past like two months, and I'm just like, all right, gym, like four or five days a week. It's so good for you, man. It's like so like any like jump rope, shadow boxing, like I don't know, just like it's a testosterone boost too. To like you know when you're sparring, it's like I don't know. It's very like yeah, it's nice. Get some pad work in. Get like you get the yeah, yeah. Uh, But uh, what would be some advice to your younger self? Mm Hmm. Oof. Don't make decisions based on emotion. Yeah, don't make don't make decisions based on. Emotion. Mm. I was a little bit of a hothead when I was younger. You can still detect it a little bit. I've got like the mm. army thing where I I curse a lot and I'm like very passionate. But um, I've learned to channel it in my older age. So, you love yeah. the passion. Yeah, got that passion. We here for it. I'm so, I'm so. Um, all right, and then uh, a question for me is FDR, if you. <laughs> weren't in cybersecurity, weren't in crypto or tech or anything like that, what would your professional career path be? Uh, damn, that's heavy. I don't know. I like building things. I really like building things. Like I think, I think my ideal, I don't know if I could do some like really peaceful idyllic work would be to like build furniture or something in like a rural cottage or I don't know some kind of like simple <laughs> hands on trade that, 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 yeah, that's like yeah, when you make it that's like the perfect yeah. plot line to a movie is like this retired <laughs> cybersecurity agent now turned yeah. into a carpenter <laughs> and then like the neighbor got hacked for millions of dollars yeah. and then you revealed your true identity you're just like look <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> And then final question. Pull me back (laughs) in. Uh, Who would you recommend to be a guest on Fi? I think we're losing DeFi Dave. I don't know if it's me or. Oh, is that no. my signal? He is, no, no, no. He, he is gone. No, no, no. no. Oh, he is, dude. Oh, no. This, this happened. <laughs> F in the chat. No. I'm literally this, opening this the chat the now, last bro. time, too. No, yeah, no, yeah, no. Just no. F and, uh, oh, no. no. I, I, they, no. We hear they know, but that's all no. we hear. No, no. <laughs> we made the whole oh. interview. Oh, oh no, you sound happens. like C3PO. Oh. Man. An advanced persistent threat got him. An ABT got him. Hey, you guys made me talk too much, man. Yeah, told you. Oh my god. Listen. Listen, ninjas. We need to. We need to exfil Dave right now. We need to exfil him. Hey. 
clock's ticking. We're already two oh, hours right. in. I've only got 46 to work with. I want to keep my metrics. <laughs> no. so. Fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. All right. Okay. Well, um, I, I mean, I, I, I know what he's going to ask. So maybe I can just tag team in here. Um, but sure. FDR, if you could bring on anybody else yeah. to be a guest on the Flywheel yeah. pod, who would you want yeah. that person to be? man i don't i don't know if he would ever do it or it would be one of two people probably like the least likely one would be zach xpt i think he'd be like a huge one to have on here he'd probably do a bunch of like weird stuff to cloak his voice and you know (laughs) so people don't know who he is i know who you are zach i know um (laughs) and then the other one would be uh I, i think you guys should reach out to ray reach out to ray raspberry he's he's that's a solid dude, man, and he's he's pretty damn good. He doesn't have the same exposure as Zach, but like he's basically turned into the Zach for Cosmos, and I think that space has a lot of promise coming up. So yeah, I'd say I'd say Ray Raspberry, you know, um, more on the forensic side though, right? More more looking on chain. So yeah, uh, got it. Got I see it. Did, did you Dave. say that they have a lot of promise or a lot of problem coming uh, back? No promise, promise like. Uh, yeah, they're a lot of promise for okay. Cosmos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not problems. Got it. Oh. Got they it. solve Got the problem. Am I back? Dave, Dave, are you back? Are you back? I, I don't know. Am I? I could be. I think so. I, no, I Dave, I've, seen better, <laughs> I've seen better signal from a cave in Afghanistan than what you're getting right now, buddy. I mean, you got we got to work on this. Come on, bro. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, as unfortunate as it is that Dave couldn't, couldn't join us yeah, here, um, FDR, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, hanging on here. Okay. And we I definitely need to Kirk. end this pod now so we can go exfil DeFi Dave from wherever no. he is. <laughs> I got a guy in flight. Thanks. All right. Thank We're you moving. Much, man. <laughs> of course. See you guys later. Thank you, thank sir, you. for your service. Bye, Dave. All right, everyone, welcome to the post game. I'm your host, Defi Dave, and this time we have Sam McCullough joining us, which I think is more fitting for this <laughs> post game out of all the post games that we have done, considering that you're actually a veteran that did signal intelligence uh, around almost 20 years ago. Yeah, me and FDR got a lot in common, actually. So, yeah, uh, he's right. Yeah, when you when I took the test, I took the D Lab test because. Uh, I just wanted to join. I think I wanted to just join the Marine Corps and go have some fun. Uh, but they were like, oh, hey, you're smart. You should go take a test. Uh, you have good grades. Like, go take this test and see how you do. And so I went and I took the D-Lab test. And let me tell you, like, it's pretty insane. Honestly, like, the D-Lab test is a test that you've never taken in your life before. Uh, and taking two tests on the same day, I don't know what the cybersecurity system, because that seems like a new job. Uh, it didn't really exist back when I was around from 2003 to 2008. Um, it wasn't like, I, uh, like our cyber guys, we didn't have that level of sophistication yet. But the D-Lab test is crazy because they make up a fake language, which is totally fake and has its own grammar rules. And they test you on this language to see how quickly you can get the logic rules like internalize these these logic rules with the fake language it's really hard and really weird and like i, I don't like passing it doesn't actually mean that you can actually learn languages but it under, it shows that you have like the logic ability to to like figure it out in the long term maybe 
Um, and so, yeah, so we both worked as quasi support for the NSA. I mean, that's what the US military does is they provide services so the NSA can operate in different countries because civilians aren't going to go to, you know, Somalia or like, where's the stuff going on? Like Mali or uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah, like, sure, they'll, they'll probably send some like CIA operatives there, but like boots on the ground. No, that's all done by like the Air Force and the Army and the Marines um, and the Navy. And so like, I think he worked in a little bit different stuff because it's cyber. I worked on signal, like actual uh, signals, which is uh, like with cell phones and stuff. Uh, but our stuff that we were dealing with back in like 2005, 2006, was like way different, totally different than what we have now. You think about the technology that we had back then, like, I think like the iPhone wasn't even out. We had these like shitty little, uh, Nokia phones, yeah, right? Nokia phones that everybody had or like Blackberries or something. Like, I can't even remember what the best phone that you could buy in 2005 was maybe like a little flip phone. Like, honestly, it's come so far. So when, when the difference between the seven he was there from 2013 to or 17 to 20 or something he was still in the working when the first run came about from what i remember from the interview like that it's that 10 year difference is such a difference in technology and especially now with like the addition of ai and stuff i i, I thought it was funny because he has really good characterizations for like how the intelligence community works i thought that his his description of it as like the eye of sauron yeah, it's probably like, honestly, it's it's it, it resonated with me more than anything else in the interview, <laughs> because like everybody think like the the intelligence community is extremely sophisticated and equipped, but it's only limited by the amount of uh, actual people that are using it. Like you could have like the best AI, you could have the best flagging system, you could have like the best everything to to see all this data coming through. But at the end of the day, some analyst has to look at that information and make a decision, yes or no, about like, are we going to look, are, are we going to devote resources to go after this? And so, you know, like for the most part, the answer is no. And it gets directed towards like going after North Korea or going after Russia or going after like actual national security threats to the United States. Um, yeah, which explains why... North Korea and like anything that North Korea touches gets hit so hard when it comes to crypto. Yeah. And also explains like if you get hacked for less than a million dollars in crypto, like honestly, the the police and the FBI and people are not going to help you. Like unless you know the guy and like where he lives and you can like show up at his house and give him a court order, like nobody's going to help you. Like a, a million dollars is like won't even show up on their radar. Uh and it's unfortunate, but it's just the way it is because they, they have bigger actors who are stealing like hundreds of millions of dollars that get flown or get like laundered into North Korea somehow, which is kind of crazy. But uh, this interview was great. I love the energy that FDR has and he's got yeah. some great stories. Um, he takes no shit. Exactly. Exactly. And like knowing the, knowing like what he's doing, it's pretty cool. I think the, the services that they're offering uh, seem pretty cool. Groom Lake and Desera, uh, all seem pretty readily needed in the space. Oh yeah. Especially like Groom Lake immediately. And then Desera is really interesting concept, really inter to see. And it's gonna be interesting to see when it plays out in the wild. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and the fact that he's like, put it, like we said in the intro, like he's putting auditors on, on notice, right? Yeah. It's, well, it's, he, he says that auditors are just one part of the security stack, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of other things that auditor, auditors can't do because audits are just a snapshot in time of code. Like what happens if they change the code? Like what, you know, do you have to like wait for another audit? Do you just release it in the wild? So I think services like Roomlake and Drosera, you know, are the answer to, you know, for protocols to be more dynamic and to more importantly, be safer. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely moving towards a space where you need active monitoring of your, of your contracts at all times. And, uh, in case they're like, you have to be watching the mempool, right. To see if there's any malicious transactions coming and, if they if they are coming, like, can they be front run? Right. I know there's services out there that are like, try to front run, like, we'll try to front run exploits, right? Um, if if they can. So the 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 whole stack, this like like top to bottom stack and continuous approach is is really going to be the the standard going forward. And I think that like FDR and um, a couple a couple of other people in the space that I really respect are are really pushing towards this reality. Yeah. It's definitely rooting for them. And I'm sure, yeah, I, I feel like uh, FDR has the capability to be a major character on CT. <laughs> so if you, look at his, if you look at his Twitter, it's like, I will find you. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's hard sometimes. I mean, like, sometimes it's hard to, like, translate uh, on-screen personality into, like, Twitter. Yeah, personality. that's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe not, like, a personality on ct but i can you know see him you know in the news or something like saving the day or you know he should have a podcast honestly like i would, yeah. I would listen to him like weekly or daily even if he came out yeah, and talked I, about like security issues i concur i concur yeah. and if you want to hear us every week here at flywheel you know what to do make sure you hit that bell button and you subscribe leave us a comment let us know what you think give us a like make sure you follow us on twitter at flywheel DeFi. join our telegram group at flywheel DeFi. Check out our website below, flywheeldefi.com. Subscribe, check out our merch, get sick merch, support the channel down below. Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter at fly, I mean, at DeFiDay22. I'm not flywheeldefi. <laughs> uh, and you can follow uh, Kit at capital OX capital K. Zero X capital K. Zero X capital K. And uh, you can follow me at traders underscore insight. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Stay safe. Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.